0: Well hey everybody, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. We are so glad to have you here with us. This has just been something that for me has been a highlight of this whole time as there's been anxiety and pressure and frustration. Uh, This has been something that for me has been a lifeline. I hope it has been for you too that we get together, we worship together, we get to listen to a study in the word together and uh, just really feel like uh, we can enjoy the presence of God wherever we're at. So wherever you're at, I wanna welcome you and uh, and let you know a little bit about what's gonna happen tonight. We're gonna spend some time in worship, and then we're gonna spend some time opening uh, the book of Acts together with Pastor Dan. Uh, This is an interactive study, and so if you have questions, uh, like me, I always come up with questions in the middle of study, and normally on a Sunday, you'd love to be able to raise your hand and ask your pastor what's going on, but you never could, and this is a forum where you could actually do that, and so there's a chat function right there in the live stream, and you can put your questions in there, or if you'd prefer, You can email your questions to onlinepastor at wateroflifecc.org. That's online pastor at wateroflifecc.org. We'll get those questions, and at the end of the Bible study, we'll open up those questions together and go through them as much as time allows. And so, um, also want to remind you that we have a lot of things changing right now, a lot of questions about when church is going to open back up again, what's it going to look like when it does open up. And so, if you uh, keep going over to wallupdates.com, we post new content there almost every day. I know Pastor Dan is putting new devotionals on there every day. And so, If you're wondering what's happening with your church, check out wallupdates.com, and we'll make sure to let you know what's happening every weekend. Uh, Before we go into worship, I had a passage of scripture that I just really wanted to share, because to me, it really spoke to my heart today. This is from Psalm 34, starting in verse one. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Father, that's our prayer today, that you would be our refuge, God, that we would enjoy such incredible peace, such joy, that our faces would be radiant with joy because of the experience that we've had with you. God, that we would open our hearts to you, we would open our minds to you, and Lord, that this time, wherever we're at, wherever we're uh, finding ourselves for the study tonight and for worship, God, that we would be able to be fully engaged with you, that we would give our hearts fully to you, and that, Lord, that supernatural exchange would happen, that we would give you our fears, our anxieties, our worries, and you would give us peace and joy and hope. And so we thank you that you're, you're in that business, Lord, and that we can have that relationship with you tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join us as we worship together?
1: Evening, water of life. Come on, stand at your feet wherever you are in your house, in your homes. On a Wednesday in the middle of the week, let's give God praise. the name like Jesus. you the name that can heal tonight. You're the name that can destroy
2: i
1: Thank you tonight, God. What a mighty, what a marvelous, magnificent, powerful God you are. Be tonight God I felt your goodness on the mountain I've seen your love down in the valley and your grace is still surviving. i show That's why we worship you with all of our hearts. Because you gave us all of yours.
3: Father, we pray that you would come tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would fill up our time with your glory. Thank you, God, for loving people like us. Thank you that you come. We bow our hearts down before you. So we bow down before you. We tell you we're crazy about you, God. We know you love us. You're crazy about us. So we open to you, Holy Spirit, all that you wanna do in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. We hope you're doing great this evening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're in the book of Acts, you got a Bible, an iPad, a phone, you can turn to the book of Acts, we're going to do a couple of chapters tonight, so we're going to be in chapters 11 and 12, so I want to ask you to get set up there, get ready to roll, because we're going to move fast, cover a lot of territory today, so before we do that, let's talk about church, um, kind of not sure what to say about church, we're still on hold right now. I told you on a couple of the info videos that I sent you that we were talking to the governor's office, and Monday was very hopeful. Yesterday and today, not so much. So it's just really hard to read what's going on in Sacramento and how they play this. And one time, they're really ready to roll, seem really interested in what we have to say, and the next time, uh, they don't seem so interested. So I'm not quite sure where it's all at. But what we're going to do this weekend, we've really prayed this out, and really believe that we're supposed to go ahead and and uh, begin to open the doors. And so we're going to do that very, very slowly, very safely um, with a couple of hundred people and uh, 300 people in a service. And so we're going to do that. We've got our chairs all socially distanced in the room. Uh, we've got all those things happening with masks and temperatures taken and all of that. And many of you know we've put out the 930 service already this afternoon to a lot of First responders, people that are in isolation, depression, discouragement, struggling. And that service is just about full. We're going to move a few more spots open into that service for singles because that singles filled up really fast. And we know there's a lot of you out there that are isolated, lonely, and you're hurting. So we're going to open up some more spots in that service for you. You need to go on our webpage to find that. You can pick that up and then um, get signed up there. And then We are going to go ahead and add two more services this weekend. So we'll be here on Saturday night. at Typical time that we'd be here at five o'clock on Saturday night, 9.30, 11.30 on Sunday morning. So right now we're gonna plan on three services uh, this weekend and we'll add those other two in. We hadn't spoken about those. We've been talking about them right up until just a few minutes ago. But I think we're gonna go ahead and add those two in. So we'll do regular three services this weekend. You need to have a ticket, you gotta go on event right you got to go on the web page and pick that up and that won't be up until tomorrow so I just need to caution you that'll be tomorrow before you'll be able to sign up for those uh, other services so we want to keep the 930 service where we had it before for first responders people that are really in crisis want to have that for them so if you got a bible an ipad a phone that's really where we're going to go tonight with uh, some thoughts, but I'll probably do another info video for you tomorrow because things just keep moving and we really need prayer. I've encouraged you all week to fast and pray. I've been doing the same thing and really believing for God to break through in our state. And we had a good breakthrough yesterday in Orange County. They, supervisors in Orange County, told the church in Orange County to go ahead and open up this weekend. They were okay with that, that they, um, so anyway, there's movement on the local level more than there is on the state level. So pray, 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 please. Let's believe for that. We're gonna look at it tonight and talk about how important prayer is and what it can do to change the world. So let's pray really quick and we'll jump in. Father, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and uh, liven the word with your presence. Just passion and fire from heaven would fall on your word, God, and light up our hearts. Father, we don't wanna just do a Bible study. We wanna be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We wanna be transformed by the power of your spirit. We wanna be moved in our innermost being by your heart in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. So let's do a little bit of background and catch up where we've been and kind of where we're gonna go. The study that Luke did through the book of Acts that we've been in the last few weeks. I think it's like we're on the 10th or 11th week now. We've touched the high points of the journey, which is pretty much what Luke does in the book of Acts. It's important to note that there were a lot of things that took place in the early church that are not recorded in the book of Acts. We're certain of that because of different other writings that people reference things that are never mentioned in the book of Acts and other things that are referenced even by the people in the book of Acts that we don't have any record of. So we know there's a lot of other things that happen. In the book of Acts, You really have two central people, primarily throughout the book, and two central places throughout the book. So the two central people are Peter and Paul. And most of you have already guessed that, but those are the two central figures in the book of Acts. The two central places you might not be so certain of, you would certainly say Jerusalem, and that would be correct. The second place we're going to open up tonight, it is Antioch. And those two places, Jerusalem and Antioch, carry the weight of the whole rest of the early church for the first 30 years of the church's life. So when you pick up chapters 11 and 12, when you start to move through chapter 12, where we're going to be tonight, the flow goes quickly, moves rapidly. Chapters 21 to 24, in fact, cover just 10 days. So there's just a whole bunch of highs and lows, long period of time skipped, and then one short period of time covered for three chapters. So much of it is uh, repetitive. Like you'll get Paul's testimony a couple of different times, and so you see things that Luke really felt were important and needed to be repeated, repeated, repeated. You know, the last two chapters in the book are uh, storm when Paul is in a storm and crashes. Uh, so the next ten chapters are going to move quickly, and they actually move and um, pivot around uh, outreach journeys, missionary journeys. Paul, Silas, Paul, uh, Barnabas, Paul, and other people touching the world. So we're gonna pick that up today, but let me just do, again, a quick reference for you as far as years go. The book of Acts was written beginning in 30 AD. Jesus left the planet, and and we believe in 30 AD, and so what you've got is you've got the Pentecost, which is this weekend, by the way, that's so great. The church was born 50 days after Easter, which we're celebrating this weekend, Pentecost weekend, and then you've got in uh, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. That happened probably around 31 to 32 AD. Some people think all the way up to 35, but I don't think it was that late personally. Then you've got a bunch of other things taking place. You've got the confrontation, uh, the racial confrontation where Stephen and Philip were appointed to serve the tables in Acts chapter six. Acts chapter seven, Stephen defended and then martyred as the first martyr in the church. Uh, Those things probably happened uh, all the way up to Acts chapter eight, around underneath 35 AD. So five years of the early church's life is covered there. And that picture in Acts chapter eight, you got Saul persecuting the church, got the Ethiopian eunuch coming to Christ, starting the church in Africa, Acts chapter nine, you have Paul's conversion happened somewhere between 34 and 36 AD, somewhere in that ballpark of 35. Then you got Acts chapter 10 that we covered last week with Cornelius' household accepting Christ. That probably happened between 37 and 40 AD. A lot of people think around 40 AD, which would have been 10 years after Christ. So you can see that the church was bottlenecked in Jerusalem for 10 years. It was Jews uh, reaching Jews for Jesus. Uh, Jewish people primarily making up the church, not Gentiles, till you had the Ethiopian eunuch and you had some other people like Cornelius come on the scene and it started to change the game. Then you had the Council of Jerusalem, the Antioch receiving receiving Christ and Barnabas going to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11 and then again in chapter 15 where the real council took place. And then there's just strategic moments that Luke touches over and over. You know, chapter 10 that we covered last week, one of those high points, very, very strategic moment that uh, a Jew would go into a Gentile home and talk about Jesus and actually eat with that person. So what's gonna happen, as we pick up chapter 11, it really reiterates everything that happened in chapter 10. It falls on the heels of Saul's conversion, The story shifts back to Peter. Peter's in trouble with the church and the leaders in Jerusalem. And it's really a a very interesting picture because it's exactly what Jesus prophesied when he said in Acts chapter one that the gospel would go throughout the whole world and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And that's exactly how this unfolded, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then you've got this picture now of Gentiles coming into the church and Peter being in trouble with that. Actually, there's a great picture in Colossians chapter 1 verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 that talks about the gospel going throughout the whole known world, and that had to have happened in the first 30 years of the church's life, friends. The gospel spread so fast, it was amazing. So let's pick the story back up. Hopefully that didn't confuse you too much, but it Clarified some of the time frames and the timelines. Probably been better if we had a monitor back here. And we could walk that all through so you could see it. But let's read together the first three or four verses of Luke chapter uh, that Luke wrote in Acts chapter 11. Uh, see if we can start the journey here with Peter getting in trouble. It says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. So let's just stop there. This is like, wow, somebody was on Twitter really fast. Somebody posted this on Instagram. Peter hadn't even gotten back to Jerusalem, and he was in trouble. And he was in trouble with the leaders of the Jewish, primarily Jewish church. It was a Jewish church at that point in Jerusalem, and they took issue with him. This, for all of us who are not Jewish, it's hard for us to understand the magnitude of this, but this is a big, big, big deal. The head of the church at that point was Peter. Peter's now eating with unclean people, Gentiles. And this is a game changer. It's not just a game changer because the Jewish leaders didn't like it. It's a game changer because it put them in real danger. So let me explain that to you real quick. You remember that Stephen was martyred, But Stephen was what was called a Hellenist. He was a Greek Jew. He wasn't a Hebrew Jew. So when the persecution of the church started, when Saul was persecuting the church in Jerusalem, he was primarily persecuting Greek uh, Jewish people, not Hebrew Jewish people. And there was a huge difference there. That's why there was a racial divide in the early church over serving the tables with those people. So what you had here, Was you had this divide and the Hebrews were not being persecuted because they were still considered a Jewish sect. But the Hellenists that were Christians were being persecuted. Now, as soon as Peter eats with a Gentile and the news comes back to the people in Jerusalem, this is a problem for the early church because it says this, this is no longer a Jewish sect. These guys are jumping the tracks. They're going after anybody who will open up to Jesus and they are dangerous to Rome and to the Jews in Jerusalem. So that's what's taking place in the story here. That's why this is such a big, big deal. So when you see this, you'll see that there was an outcome of this. The outcome actually was the persecution shifted from the Hellenists, the, the Greeks, to the Hebrews And that is, in fact, why James was killed and martyred in Acts chapter 12. We'll cover that in just a minute. Let's read on, because we're going to read through quickly now from verse 4 through verse 18, because this is the story of last week. If you weren't with us last week, we covered all of this in depth last week, so we're not going to cover it in depth this week. It's Peter telling the, the leaders in Jerusalem what happened to him, how he ended up in this Gentile's home eating with him. Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision coming down, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me, he said. And when I had fixed my gaze on it, I was observing it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth and all kinds of wild beasts and crawling creatures and the birds of the air. And I heard a voice tell me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, no way, Lord, by no means, nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Now, as we explained last week, I thought Pastor Shane did a great job with the study last week explaining this. This was not about food. This was about hearts and people. This is about a a Jewish heart in Peter that was unwilling to break boundaries, new wine and new wineskin and going to Gentile people. That's the whole picture here but I said, by no means, Lord, nothing unholy can enter my mouth. Verse nine, it says, but a voice from heaven said a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, then everything was drawn back into the sky. And behold, at that very moment, three men appeared at the house where we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings, and these six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. Now, this is very important to note that he took six Jewish believers with him from Joppa. There was a reason he did that because he knew what he was doing was so critical and so volatile, he needed those other witnesses to watch everything that happened. And in fact, that's how it went. It blew up really bad. He had to go back to Jerusalem and defend himself, but he has six people with him that saw everything. So it says, I took these six people back with me and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. And as soon as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did it at us at the beginning. This is important that we stop right here and just cover this. What he just said was everybody started speaking in tongues. That's what he just said. He said exact same thing. Uh, tongues of fire were released, there's no question Uh, You can read through one commentator after another. They all agree that that's what took place. There was another Pentecost happen in this town, in Caesarea, in Cornelius' home. With Gentile people, the Holy Spirit fell on them, manifested exactly like he had with the Jewish church years earlier. And he says it fell on them. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized you with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gifts that he gave to us, also after believing the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? This was a game changer. Peter was very convincing, they trusted him immensely, and he told them the truth. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life this is huge this is so big that most of us in our lifetime will never understand this but had this not happened we would not be christians today you and i non-jewish people this was so big that it opened the door for god to move throughout the whole earth and touch the whole known world at that time as colossians said that it happened so pick up in verse 19 with me and watch now the shift that begins to take place, because it's not a small shift, friends, it's a big shift. The church and the focus of the church, the early church, was shipped from Jerusalem to Antioch, and it will remain there for years and years to come. So it says this in verse 19. So then those who were persecuted, who were scattered, I'm sorry, because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone, again, These are Hellenistic Greek Jews going into Greek communities where there were other Greek Jews telling them about Jesus. But it says in verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and they jumped the tracks. Uh Uh-oh, they did what they were not supposed to be doing. They began to speak to the Greeks also and preach the Lord Jesus. This is not Greek Jews. These are Greek people, Gentiles. And it says that they began to speak to them and preach the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. This, friends, is gigantic, 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 gigantic. They are now sharing with Gentiles. First time in the history of the church that this has happened. And it was met with huge success. That's important to say. Many people came to Jesus. Now, we know the Ethiopian eunuch had come to Jesus, and there were Greek Jews that had come to Jesus, but th- there was Cornelius who had come to Jesus and his household, but never, never had a city full of Gentiles begin to open up to Jesus, non-Jewish people. Clearly, this was not a variant of Ju- Judaism any longer. This was a movement standing on its own. So what it says, down in verse 22, 3, and 4, it talks about what happened. It says, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, again, off of their texting or Twitter account or something, I'm sure, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Okay, let's stop right there, because who was Barnabas? Those of you who remember Barnabas, who was Barnabas? What does his name actually mean? His name is Joseph, but but he was renamed Barnabas because he was such an encourager. He encouraged so many people, so many people, that they changed his name to the encourager. Now, you gotta understand his journey. He was a Jew from Cyprus. So he understood these people in Antioch way better than anybody else in Jerusalem. So he was the guy that they trusted, very godly man, very generous man. They trusted him and they sent him off to Antioch to give a report, what's going on there. Notice they didn't send Peter, I'm joking. I'm not sure why they didn't send Peter. They sent Barnabas. Barnabas was the right man for the job having come from Cyprus as he did. So it says in verse 23, When he arrived and he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And so there was a game change at this point. He was watching this thing spreading all over town. People coming to Jesus, people coming to Jesus. And he was overmatched. He was trying to teach the word, but he wasn't really a teacher. He was an encourager as he didn't have a strong gift of teaching, as far as we know. And so he probably went back to the Lord and did what a godly guy or gal would do. Father, what do you want me to do here? I'm overmatched, I'm overwhelmed. There's gotta be a better way to take care of all these people. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him. What did the Holy Spirit say? Remember that guy that you guys sent home? The guy that I brought to you a few years ago in Jerusalem? His name was Saul, and then we called him Paul. And he said, oh, I remember that guy, watch what happens here. <clears throat> Verse 25, it says he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. But hold hold it, stop there. We know this, when Barnabas got to Tarsus, it was difficult for him to find Paul because Paul had been disinherited by his family. Paul's family was wealthy. We know that because of the schools that he went to and the things that he did. Because he was in the school of Gamaliel, he could not have been there unless he had money. He had to leave all the way from his home in Tarsus, go all the way to Jerusalem and be able to live there. His parents had to have a significant amount of money to send him away to school and do that. Now we know later that his sister was likely the person who funded much of Paul's, Saul's ministry, was his sister who later apparently became a Christian and undergirded her brother because she hadn't been excommunicated from the family. Maybe their parents had passed at that point and left her the money, I don't know. But we know this, that he was disinherited from his family. Likely, he was also divorced from his wife. Now, there's no factual determination of that except for that the school that he went to and the Pharisee group that he belonged to were always married. That's what we know. They were almost always married as a Pharisee. And so, likely, he had been married as a Pharisee, came to Jesus, lost his family, was disinherited by his family, kicked out of the family, and divorced from his wife. And then he is picked up by Barnabas, brought back, brought back to this city of Antioch, where he actually does the teaching for the next year. It says when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, verse 26, they met with the church and they taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, it's important to note that the first time, remember they'd been called the way, but now they're called Christians. But this was a a derisive term, friends. This was not a blessing. They weren't going, oh, we love you Christians, or you Christ followers is really what it meant. That wasn't what was happening at all. They actually were slamming them. They were making fun of them and calling them names and it stuck. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of somebody who had a nickname? You know, they, they called somebody a nickname and they were making fun of them so much, but they laughed at it and it stuck. Well, that's actually what happened to Christianity and Christians, friends. They were making fun of us and the name Christians stuck. So you get down to verse 27, 28, <clears throat> there's a whole shift here that goes, goes on in Antioch, but it has to do with Jerusalem and Antioch and what God is up to that says this in verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now this is important that you understand what this means. Ephesians 4.11 says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So we know these are called the five-fold offices, but we know these offices are very important to building the church and that they are still operating today. We believe that at Water of Life. A lot of people don't believe that today. I understand that. We believe that these fivefold offices are still operating today. And without them, the church does not thrive. So here's where you have a prophetic guy, some prophetic people coming down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them's name is Agabus. And he stood up and he began to indicate that the Holy Spirit had spoken to him and by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of of Claudius now this is important to note this is 41 to 54 AD for 13 years there was a famine all over different places so this was uh, fulfilled it was obviously from God and it was fulfilled and that there would be a great famine all over the world and this took place in the reign of Claudius then it says in verse 29 and in proportion that any of the disciples had means each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Okay, so let me kind of frame this up for you. Agabus comes in, they've been there for a year teaching. Things are rolling in Antioch, man, it is happening. But there's a famine coming. And so they challenge these young Christians to be generous. Just like I challenge many of you to give your stimulus money, and you've done just such an amazing job of being generous. We've helped so many people. We've given away $300,000. Over $300,000 to different ministries and different people. Today, I approved for some money to go out for a hotel room for a family that was poor and had nowhere to stay, and their child was in the hospital, very, very, very sick, um, in, in a huge crisis, and they had nowhere to stay because of the COVID virus. They had closed the Ronald McDonald house at the hospital, and the people had no money. They had nowhere to go. And so, I got a phone call and somebody said, could you or your church help this family to have a place to sleep for the next five nights while their child is in critical condition? And I said, absolutely. You know, because of your generosity. And so I try to bring you stories all the time. You will never know what your generosity has done, friends, until you get to heaven. So you're gonna have people come to you from all over. you're gonna go, I don't know you, I don't know you. And they're gonna say, no, but you blessed me. You cared for me. You did it to the least of these and you did it to Jesus. So I just wanna cheer for you, say it's amazing to pastor people like you that are so generous, so thoughtful. Your stimulus money is touching so many people and just thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity, for giving to help other people. That's exactly the picture here. Now what happened in Antioch was a deal changer completely. For the first time in history, a different race and a different country sent money to another race and another country first time we've ever we've ever heard of anything like this and it was done because of jesus that people broke the boundaries of their culture of their country of their race to touch other people and isn't that what we're supposed to still be doing today so i just think it's a great 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 picture that's what happened paul and barnabas are going to take the gift they're going to travel to jerusalem we know that this happened all over in thessalonica corinth different churches all gave gifts to support the poor people in Jerusalem. And there's a whole other story that ties into that that we can't go into tonight. But there, there wasn't work for a lot of the early church, the Christians in Jerusalem at that point, and they were in trouble. So they traveled to Jerusalem, this is around 46 now AD, probably 15 to 16 years after the crucifixion resurrection of Jesus. They met with Peter and James and, and uh, John, and James, the brother of Jesus. And so this we, they talk about this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, if you're interested in that. Um, verse 12, or chapter 12 in Galatians, chapter 12 in the book of Acts, I'm sorry, verse 25, they mention this as well. But in Galatians 2, 10, it says this, they only ask us to remember the poor, and that was the very thing that I was eager to do, is what they wrote in the book that they wanted to care for the poor, care for the poor. The church in Jerusalem was actually saying, please don't forget us, our people are starving. So they did take care of them. It was a great picture. So here's what happens now. The game changes again. It shifts from Paul and Barnabas back to Peter. And chapter 12, Peter's in trouble now. And Peter, friends, is in trouble because of the Gentile church. So chapter 12, verses one and two, it says, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on them, on some of them who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Okay, let's stop there. If you remember, there were three people in the inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, if you remember that their mother is the one that I taught about on Mother's Day when I did the story about her wanting her sons to sit at the left and the right hand of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 39, if you're looking for it. But it's an interesting picture because when she asked for those positions, Jesus asked her a question. He said, can your boys drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And, And she and they said, yeah, 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 we can drink it. They had no idea he was about ready to be crucified. But the truth was, James did drink that cup. John, on the other hand, ends up being the, the one apostle who lives a long, long, long life, he outlived all the other apostles, and he was the one who was banished to Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. So the providence of God is at work here, friends, we don't understand it, why does one brother die and the other brother live? Why does one die young and first and the, uh, as a martyr, And then the other one lives to outlive all the other apostles, who many of them were martyred as well. So what happened was, Peter, James, and John, the three early leaders of the the church in Jerusalem, James is killed. But then something unique happens. He is replaced by another man named James. Another man named James. Who would that be? Some of you know who that is. It's Jesus' brother. (laughs) The one who denied him and said he couldn't be the Messiah ends up rising up in the church in Jerusalem and taking this super significant place and being a game changer for the church around the world. And we'll get into that later. But let me go back to verse 1 and 2 here, chapter 12, and tell you about Herod. This says King Herod. This is the grandson of Herod the Great. This is not Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one who tried to kill Jesus. This is his grandson. And his grandson was part of the Hasmonean dynasty that ruled parts of Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and other parts of the region for years, several hundred years. And he tried to follow Judaism, this Herod did, which is very interesting. He was very popular with the Jewish people. He kept peace with the Jewish majority in Jerusalem by persecuting the minority. That's why he killed James. Because at this point in the story, the Jewish people have completely abandoned the Christians and said, you are not part of us. You eat with Gentiles, you live with Gentiles, you hang with Gentiles, you are out completely. They were no longer worshiping in the temple. All of these things were shifting now and changing dramatically. And Herod saw that he could gain favor with the Jewish majority by killing the Christian minority. So he killed James. Then, He locked up Peter. So what happens here is gets very, very, very interesting. It says in verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread or the feast of the Passover that season. When he seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out before the people and obviously to kill him. It says in verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him is being made fervently by the church to God. So you got to get the picture here. This is huge. Again, the game is shifting dramatically in Jerusalem. The the guy, the king Herod is just bold and brazen. He's already killed James. He found favor by killing James. So he goes after Peter. And this is gigantic for the church. In in Jerusalem, to lose the leader Peter at that point would have been just—it was huge. It was a big big deal. So what happened is, because Peter had so much influence in Jerusalem, there's no question and favor. That's why they put so many guards around him because they were afraid somebody would try to break him out, get him out, save him out. And so they arrested him and they put so many guards. They put four guards. The two of them were literally chained to him, all the time. They would go and. And shifts and they would have themselves chained to him. So what happened? Verse five is a key. It's what I've been saying to you all week. Pray, 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 pray. And don't just pray, but pray fervently. Pray with passion. Pray with your heart. Man, go after God. Look at verse five here in chapter twelve. It says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the in prison, but the prayer for him was being made fervently by the church for God. It was literally that word is that just stretched out people, they went after God with passion and fire. In verse six it says, on the very night when Herod was about to bring Peter forward to do a mock trial and then kill him, no doubt, <clears throat> Peter's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. So <laughs> he's sleeping between two soldiers, one chained on one side, one chained on the other side, great picture. The guys are probably asleep, but, 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 but hold, hold it. Peter is sound asleep, and he knows his life is on the line, friends. This is a great picture of trust and faith. Watch this. It says, on the night that he was, he was there, he was sleeping, bound between two soldiers, and the guards at the door were watching over the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord struck, appeared, and a light shone in his cell, and he struck him on the side and said, quit snoring and get up, dude. Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, gird up yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow him. And <laughs> Peter thought he was dreaming. This is so great. Peter thought he was dreaming. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. It says in verse 10, and when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate that leads into the city and the gate opened up. This is likely Antonio Fortress by the temple is probably where this all took place. And so there was a gate there at the Antonio Fortress that would open up into the city, and it says it opened up on its own, and the angel let him out. And he went out along the street, and immediately the angel departed for him. When then Peter came to himself, he said, I'm not sure what's going on here. He says, now I know for sure the Lord has sent forth this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and all the Jewish people, uh, what they were expecting. But now, remember this. John chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus spoke a prophetic word over Peter, and he said, when you are an old man, you will be led about by other people, and that's exactly what happened to Peter as an older man, but he was in his 30s here. He was not an old guy. He was still a young guy, so I'm guessing that Peter trusted the word of the Lord more than the word of Herod and really believed some way, somehow, God was gonna rescue him because he knew prophetically he was not going to die at that time. And so it says that he that he escapes. But now this brings up again that question. Why does he escape and James is martyred? I'm sure the people prayed when James went to jail. I'm sure they did. Friends, those are the hard questions with the providence of God you just have to yield to and trust and say, uh, I don't get, well, I don't think that that Peter is more important than James. I I just I think it was the providence of God and God's choice to do it the way he did it. And so you yield to that. So watch what happens here. When Peter came to himself, he was shocked by it. Verse 12, it says he realizes he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, and likely it was her house where they had the upper room and all of those things. It was a large house. We know that because it has a courtyard. There were many people gathered there, so it was a big house and they were all praying. And who were they praying for? Peter. And when he knocked at the door of the gate out in the courtyard, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, she was so excited, she ran away and left the guy standing outside. This is such a great picture. And it's just so real and authentic that you can feel that Luke was just writing the heart of what happened. Now likely, John Mark's the one who told the story. It's likely that John Mark is the one who translated to Luke later what actually happened and how this played out. And, and so you've got this picture here of Rhoda running away, leaving Peter standing in the night out on the street. And they said to who, you're crazy girl, verse 15, you're out of your mind. She kept insisting, it's so Peter's at the gate. And they said, it's his angel, his angel. I'm not sure what that's about. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning them with his hand, he said, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And And he described to them how the Lord had let him out of the prison. And he said, report all these things to James and the brethren. So you see right away, he identified Jesus' brother as a key leader. And report this to James and the other leaders. And he left and went to another place. So interesting, there were people that were intercessors in the house praying, but some of the leadership wasn't there. You gotta get that. And some of you might say, well, where were the leaders? Well, they were probably home asleep. Because see, friends, there's different gifts and there's different callings and there's different times are to be used. There's no question that some of you are called to be intercessors. You need to be on your face right now, believing for God to break through for the church in California. You need to be crying out to God because God has given you a gift of intercession to fervently pray. That doesn't mean that all the rest of us don't pray. We do pray, but we usually don't pray like you pray. So I wanna encourage you intercessors, be fervent be fasting be passionate about what you're praying believe for god to break through bring prophetic insight supernatural revelation and see god open up our state and so this peter's telling him all these things then he, he leaves and he goes to another place in verse 18 it says when day came there was no small disturbance a disturbance among the soldiers as to what would have become of peter because of this if the prisoner escaped the soldier gave his life the same penalty that the prisoner was supposed to get. So the prisoner was gonna get a year in jail, the soldier would get a year in jail. In this case, the soldier was gonna get a death sentence. That's why the disturbance was so big, so big, so big. And actually we see that happen here because they felt, Herod actually felt, this had to have been an inside job. A soldier had to have paid off other soldiers. Somebody on the inside had to have made a decision to let Peter go so they all had to die, which is a great tragedy. It says now, verse 20, he was very, very angry, or verse 18, it says now, when they came, there was no small disturbance, and when Herod had searched for him, not found him, he examined the guards, and ordered they be taken away to be executed. They went down from Judea to Caesarea. Peter did, he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, uh, and, and with one accord they came to him and having one over Blastus, the king's chamber, they were asking for peace because their country was being fed by the king's country. This is again, remember, a time of famine. So there's a, that shifts really quickly here. Luke's narrative of what was taking place shifts away from Peter who now got free, ran off and back to King Herod who's gonna get his own penalty here. So <clears throat> literally it says on appointed day Herod put on his royal apparel. Josephus tells us that Herod's royal apparel was a garment made out of gold and silver, literally woven with gold and silver into it, gold and silver threads in it. It's a crazy, crazy picture of a wealthy, wealthy man who was really, really caught up with himself. And so you've got this picture of people crying out in front of him. He's addressing them. They're crying out, the voice of God, the voice of God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Now Josephus covers this in depth and says that he suffered for five days, that actually during the ceremony, uh, during the ceremony when he got sick in the middle of the ceremony when everybody was praising him and calling him God and he didn't honor God, he honored himself. And he got sick in the middle of that ceremony and told somebody that the historian Josephus wrote, he told somebody that he really believed he was being judged by God because he had tried to usurp his authority. Very interesting, he died five days later and actually we say this all the time, pride kills and it killed this guy completely. Humility brings life and blessing and it does. So what you have here is you got this crazy picture It says he died, so King Herod died, but it says in verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied, and then it shifts back here to Barnabas and Saul. It says in verse 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission to Jerusalem. They had brought the money down, blessed the church, done all the things they were supposed to do, and it says that they took along with them John Mark, who was a young, young man at that point, And John Mark is interesting because this is the first time we hear about him, but not the last time, because he's actually the one that wrote the book of Mark, and likely uh, dictated by Peter to John Mark, who wrote that book. But the reality of this was John Mark traveled with Saul and with Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, he traveled with them from Jerusalem, this was likely around 46 AD, and And what's so interesting about this is when they went to Jerusalem, you got to know it was secret. It was very quiet when Paul and Barnabas went because they still wanted to kill Paul at that time in Jerusalem. So they had gone in, met with three or four of the key leaders and got out of town, gave him the money, got out of town. When they left town, they took John Mark with them, said, can we take the young boy? Because he was Barnabas' cousin. So they were all related. Barnabas was related to John Mark. So he took him with him, probably likely to disciple him because that's what Barnabas did. And he took him with him onto Antioch where he ends up on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And he flakes out and crashes and burns. So you gotta get that part. He gets sent home himself, John Mark does. But he comes back and he ends up being a very, very, very godly man. So some of you, who crashed and burned, be encouraged. It doesn't mean it's over for you. Get back up, get back in the race and watch God do something supernatural with you just like he did with John Mark. I think we're out of time and so if we're gonna do any questions and answers today. We covered a lot of territory in a short bit of time. Um, Pastor John's gonna come up and we'll see what we can do.
0: Right, that was a lot of a lot of ground to cover, <laughs> man. And it just, at times it jumps around. Well, def- the narrative
3: just shifts really quick.
0: Uh, talking about Herod and everything else, and then it just goes right into um, you know right back to Barnabas and Saul. Um, such an interesting thing. You you pointed out in a previous teaching at some point about how Barnabas with Saul was so similar to the situation with John Mark. Completely. We're uh, yeah. taking a chance on him. Yeah. You know, we're all knuckleheads and we need somebody yeah. who can sponsor us. And uh, it totally reminds me of well, that. I do
3: a whole teaching through the book of Acts on this story because it's such a great story because when it was time for Paul to give John Mark a, a pass yeah. and a break and a do-over, he, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> he sent him home and, he was, and they ended up fracturing their relationship over John Mark. Right. Yeah, ultimately that's what happened with... Paul and Barnabas, but they healed it back up, and Paul ended up honoring John Mark and bringing him back into ministry and using him.
0: Yeah, that was great to see, even as he got older and older, Saul was, Paul was able to still
3: see his. He must have been able to see, like the rest of us, his blind
0: spots. Right, yeah, Yeah, praise God for that. Um, We do have some questions, so um, Grace 70 says, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple you talked about the different roles Um, i've seen some people with the title apostle is that the same as pastor
3: okay well let's let's cover a couple things here that's a good question by the way because the office of apostle just so you understand when once jesus was gone they were called no longer his disciples but they were called the apostles right and so the apostle position had a, a level of authority that the disciple position didn't have. And so what happened then was when, if you remember, Judas hung himself and died, he was one of the apostles. And so Matthias took his place. Right. So they, remember they did the straw thing and they, he got, Matthias ended up taking Judas' spot and became an apostle. But there was a point in the early church where that ended. That office of apostle in Jerusalem Mm
0: -hmm.
3: of the early 12 apostles, it ended. And we know that because when James was martyred here, there's no mention of anybody replacing him. Yeah, I mean, James, Jesus' brother, replaced him, but it's never spoken to. He's never, it's never spoken. He just rose up because the Spirit put his, the, the Spirit of the Lord put his hand on him and lifted him up. But there was no lots drawn, there was nothing happened. And so we know this, there was a shift from those original 12 apostles to the office of apostle as we know it today. So what we would call an apostle today is somebody who oversees lots of churches. I mean, apostles were people that were supposed to be church planting. Mm -hmm. And that's what historically we would look at an apostle and say, these are people that plant churches, that oversee churches or works throughout the world. they would be called apostles. Now, I I know people that I'm on phone calls with, a lot of times they actually have the title apostle instead of pastor. And that's what, I mean, usually that means they're over a lot of churches. They have a number of churches in their area that they're over, that kind of a deal. But that would be the difference today. Uh, An apostle was an elevated position of authority uh, over numbers of churches versus a disciple was one of the followers of Jesus.
0: Right, and I think in, in our world today, it's certain denominations, certain church groups mm-hmm. tend to use those terms, some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find that some people are still called bishop or apostle, yeah. uh, other churches would never use those titles.
3: I have people tell me all the time when I'm over in Africa or somewhere, and they'll call me an apostle. Yeah, They say, you're an apostle, pastor, you plant churches and you help us all over the world build the church and you're, you just have an apostolic calling. Yeah, I've had a lot of people say that to me. And, and you just smile and keep going. So Can I call you that? No, you Around can't. Around the office? <laughs> <laughs> um. Robert Morris did tell me last week, though, when I'm talking to the news from now on, to use the title Dr. Danny Carroll. Yeah. So people know you're not some wi- w- wild-eyed lunatic from Louisiana. That's what Robert Morris told me last week on the phone. I started laughing. So I said that to the girl in the LA Times the other day we were talking. She goes, you didn't use that title before. I go, no, Robert Morris told me to, so I'm going to use it now. I laughed.
0: <laughs> and she, she laughed. It was funny. Pastor, reverend, doctor. Yeah.
3: yeah, I have two master's degrees. You can call me master, master if you want. I'm <laughs> okay.
0: um, So we have um, Ryan T. who says, t- picking up on that, um, what you were just saying about James. Why is James, Jesus' brother, so significant in
3: taking the place of John's brother, James? That's a great question because um, Jesus' brother was one of the people that denied him. I mean, you gotta imagine growing up with somebody in your, in your house and then watching the guy start doing the miraculous and declare himself as God. Yeah. And he didn't believe it. James didn't believe it. As far as we know, he never was a follower of Jesus. He didn't travel with him. He, he stayed at home and he was with his mom sometimes. Yeah. But he did not travel with Jesus. So he was not a follower or a disciple of Christ while Jesus was alive. J- James, his brother... Became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. <laughs> that would convince you. If your brother got up from the dead, I think that would probably convince all of us that they were really not well, our brother, so. but they were God. Yeah. I mean, half brother. I know some people are offended if you say it's his brother. It's his step brother, half brother. Yeah. And so, but the reality is, is that James was convinced because of the resurrection. It was such a, a magnitude of of change in his life it was so great. And he rose up immediately in the church, in the hierarchy of the church with great wisdom. He had great wisdom and insight. And yeah. you see that in chapter 15. He shifted the whole game in the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah incredibly important. And for those of us who are late to the table of, of grace, you know, we yeah, took that us a should lot us to all figure hope, it
3: out. Huh? Gives us hope,
0: yeah. Amen. Sure. Um, this is such an important question, I think. Um, it's submitted anonymously, but uh said, You read how God used the early church to bring together different races and cultures this of course this chapter especially and the one before it. How do you see the church's role in doing that today specifically- sp- specifically in light of what is happening currently with racial injustice?
3: yeah, wow, that's a good question. You no, know, I was on a phone call yesterday, and there were ten pastors on it. And nine of them were African Americans, and then it was me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of an interesting call. There were supposed to be a couple of other um, non-African American guys in the call that didn't come on. But long and short of it is, I think you've got to reach across boundaries. Yeah. You gotta you gotta learn culture. You gotta understand people. I was sitting today reading the article about the, the situation in Minneapolis, and just heartbroken. You know, I. Yeah. I think you've got to have a heart for other people. And you've got to then also say that you don't, you can't. I, I, I tell African American pastors I work with all the time, I can't know what it's like to be black. Yeah. But I can know what it's like to be um, marginalized because we've all felt that. You know, we've all felt that. In this country, being an African American is different than any other place in the world. If you're an African American or an African and you're in England, it's a completely different feeling. Mm -hmm. being with an African English person uh, in in England than it is being with African American in America because of the difference in how they've been treated and esteemed throughout time. And so what I always try to do is just, whatever culture it is, whether it's Latin, African American, Asian, whatever culture, is you've got to learn how people feel and -hmm. what they think. And so I've read a lot about Koreans and how they perceive honor and dishonor, very important to Korean people. So when I'm working with Korean pastors, I'm always trying to be honoring. And I mean, you shake the hand of a Korean pastor, you hold your arm, you know, Mm. you do that. And it sends a signal that you understand honor in a Korean church. And so it's, I I just think in every culture, our job as Christians is to cross the boundaries, stand against injustice, no matter what race or creed or kind or person or social economic group that there is, and do the right things. Yeah. And, and love people and feel compassion for people who are being treated unjustly. Right. I, and I think that's a calling for the church and for the heart of God, so. Well, Christians first,
0: and then secondary, our culture, whatever we represent, you know, as we reach across those
3: boundaries. Yeah. I love what Paul said,
0: <clears throat> you know, to the Jew I became as a Jew. Yeah. And to the Gentiles. Roman, I became, I became yeah, a absolutely. Roman. Yeah, right. absolutely.
3: And, and, and you've got to do that. I think you've got to do but, so I, I spend a lot of time personally with other people groups on purpose, just yeah. because I, I, I wanna honor them, I wanna be around them, I want them to know that I don't think I'm better than them, but I do wanna, uh, you know, sometimes in today's culture, people will actually take a position that if you're white, you know, you're really a slime ball and you're a bad person. I, I don't ever let anybody do that to me. Yeah. Cause I, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm not taking a position as a white person, I'm taking a position as a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't care what color my skin is, I'm gonna honor you and I expect to be honored back thoughtfully. That's just the right thing to do, to be kind to people and expect kindness in return. Yeah. And not, you know, if people start to get into me and I always just try to build bridges to them. I was in at Dr. King's church once in the basement uh, in Atlanta, going through some of the memorial of Dr. King and, and I was the only white person down there. There was a bunch of young African-American guys, and they started getting into me hard, you know, F-wording me and everything. And you f and white people don't know what you're doing, and you don't know wow. what you're... And, and I said, okay, I, I've heard it. You guys, you know, I'm listening. I can, I can tell, obviously, I'm the white person in the room. Let's go upstairs and talk. So we went into the courtyard of the church, and we sat down, and I just started explaining my background. And I said, look, it, I, I've studied more African-American history than any of you. I know more about your culture probably than most of you do. You know, Underground Railroad, tell me about the Underground Railroad. I just started explaining the whole thing to them and they Mm -hmm. couldn't explain it to me. And and I said, you gotta understand something. If you're gonna do this with white people, it's no better than what white people have done to you. It doesn't help anybody to be a racist. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what Peter was figuring out in this whole journey with Judaism and Gentiles. It doesn't help to be a racist. It helps to be kind to other people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he, he ended up on both sides of it. Um,
3: he did. he got hammered all the way around. Yeah. He was a poor guy and then he fell back and he had to get yeah. back up again. And it was, yeah. like, Called out it was, by was both a rough sides. go for Peter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tiger says, why in some cases, predominantly in the Old Testament, does God strike down some who speak, it, speak out against him? We've seen this twice in Acts so far, yeah. but he doesn't appear to do this today.
3: Yeah, so interesting. I think it does happen today. Mm. I think if you go to the Iron Curtain, uh, most of you, probably, Tiger, you weren't alive when the Iron Curtain went down in 89, but, no. but, but what happened was um, there was so much fervent prayer going on, and there were leaders dying, and there were things happening that were supernatural. It just never makes the press. Yeah. And so you never know, Just you gotta believe this, God's hand is still strong. God's hand is still working. When people, people fervently pray, when people are in Iran right now fervently praying, you just never know what God will do. He does supernatural things. He removes one leader, puts another leader in place. The Bible's very clear that God's the one who raises up leaders and takes them down. Right. And so I, I think it still happens today. I just don't think it makes the newspaper.
0: Right, so. not in that way. Yeah. And I, Shane, Pastor Shane said something last week where the question came up of, Fearing what does it mean to fear God? Yeah. <clears throat> and you get these leaders who who don't have any respect, they don't mm-hmm. have any awe of God. and like Herod did in this in this moment, right. And God just had had enough. He, he it was. And apparently,
3: yeah. according to according to Josephus, he actually understood what was happening. Yeah. I mean, he had enough understanding about Yahweh God, right to understand that he had asked for it. I mean, he had almost taunted God and put himself in because he had studied Judaism so he understood the old testament and so when he got struck down he had to think he was like naaman or somebody else and yeah. in the old testament look look at me look what happened to me right. cuz i deserved it you know yeah. he actually said that josephus recorded that he he felt that he deserved the judgment i think it's just wild when you you read sources like
0: josephus that so uh, validate the biblical account so clearly.
3: And you look at, you know, Josephus was not a believer. Yeah, Um, Josephus was a turncoat. Josephus was a Jewish person who sided with the Romans and actually changed his name because he was a turncoat. Right, yeah. So he was a bad guy for the Jews, but he was a brilliant historian.
0: Yeah, and he's validating the biblical story in the book of Acts. It's just wild, so cool. Um, Zik is the name. It says, my question pertains to names. Why did Paul see the need for a name change? Should we, under the new covenant, need, have a need to do so?
3: No, Paul, Paul's name was never changed. Um, Paul had a Hebrew name, Saul, and a Roman name, Paul. And so what he did is he started going by his Roman name because he was gonna be working with Gentiles and Roman people. Yeah. That's what happened with him. So he didn't get a name change, he just took his Roman name instead of his Hebrew name.
0: Yeah. There's so many supernatural name changes in Scripture. There are people assume that was the case for for Paul.
3: Right, <clears throat> that isn't what happened with Paul. Paul right. just took on his Roman name and ran with it. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. had been called Paul uh, apparently in other circles as a Roman citizen mm-hmm. for much of his life, but he was known as a Jew. He was known as Saul. So
0: yeah, well, that's the last of the questions we have for right. today. Um, I want to pray for us before we before we sign off. Pastor, is there anything else that you wanna remind everyone for the weekend
3: or? Just pray right now and you know, stay home. If you have any kind of, of issue that would put you in danger, stay home. Don't, don't try to come back to church right now. It's too soon. Some of you are desperate. We wanna to try to serve you and you're eager to get back in the, in the room. We understand that. I'm eager to have you back. Yeah. But we wanna do this thoughtfully. We wanna do it safely. We wanna do it kindly. We wanna do it humbly. Um, and, and so just wanna ask you to come with that spirit. If you're supposed to sign up, understand that everybody will not get a ticket this weekend, that won't happen. And so don't get angry and send me an email please because what we'll try to do is be as thoughtful as we can this weekend. We're, we've already done a service with a bunch of our staff to try to sort this out and make it safe for you. And so I actually took a video of that service and sent it to the governor's office Tuesday Yesterday, I've lost track, yesterday was Tuesday. Um, I sent it to the governor's office yesterday and said, look, at, here's what we can do and this is how safe it can be. So we wanna do those kinds yeah. of things with them, hoping to get their attention that they would treat us like they're treating everybody else and let us have that kind of freedom. So I just wanna ask you to be thoughtful, prayerful. Please pray right now. Pray, yeah. pray, pray that God would move this whole thing um, before this weekend.
0: Amen, yeah. So Father, we do thank you for this time together in your word and um, we thank you for our government officials. Pray that you would just give them wisdom, turn their hearts, God, that they would see that the churches can walk into this and negotiate this with um, wisdom and care and whatever ideas or pictures they had in their mind that 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 would be set aside and they could see what this could be for churches. Not just Water of Life, but churches of all different sizes all over the state. Mm -hmm. And so God, I pray for safety I pray for your spirit to move in this state, God, that we would um, see your hand yes. not only in changing people's hearts but in changing our hearts, God, that we would come back a changed people as we come back to church and we come back to, to worship you, Father, that we'd realize that you've really impacted our lives through this time, that, Lord, that we've grown closer to you, that we've we love people more, that our hearts thank are you. different. And so, Father, we thank you for our church mm-hmm. and we just pray that, Uh, we would be faithful this week in prayer and fasting so that um, we could see uh, that our hearts would be aligned with yours and things would change in our state. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, and we look forward to seeing you on the weekend. God bless.